You think? You think? We are in chapter two, and I I am going to do what I can to really make some headway. Chapter two is kind of short, actually. Um, well, you know, there's only 21 verses, so it's actually almost exactly as long as chapter one. Never mind. I changed my mind. So three more months. You know, I'm gonna try and get halfway so through today. Hey, I like I'm gonna try. I'm glad you like it. I'm gonna try and make my way through half of the chapter two, if that's possible. I don't know. We shall see. But before we jump into the word, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this kind of pre-Christmas sense of anticipation that I feel in the air. And even that was kind of manifested a bit in prayer this morning where we began to talk about the invitation of God into his plan and into what he's doing and the favor that rests on us. Um, I think about... Zechariah, and I think about Mary, and, and I think about them as they they, they, they were given uh, their prophetic word that was spoken over them, that this awesome thing is about to happen in their lives. And, and Lord, just that sense of being ready for you to do something awesome, that you're at work to do something awesome. And I just sense that over us today. And Lord, I pray that as we move into your word, that we would begin to, it would, that that sense would deepen and that your faith would fill us. Your faith, not ours, would fill us and that we would be, believe the things that are said in this chapter. This chapter is, there are some astounding things that are expressed in this chapter. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to see how massive they are and at the same time, believe them with all of our hearts. Lord, that's not easy to do. But God, I ask for a supernatural breath of your Holy Spirit to fill this room and to give us the ability to believe what's nearly unbelievable. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys having a good week? I'm sorry. <laughs> we have good weeks and bad weeks. <clears throat> and then weeks that aren't really anything. You know, some somewhere in the middle there. We are going to open to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, once again, you need to, when you're reading scripture, you need to remember that the chapter and verse separations that have been, that they were put into the script after it was written. They were not a part of the original writing of the text. They were just put in there so that we would be able to find specific places more easily. And uh, they're very helpful, and I'm grateful for them, except that they tend to, I think, sometimes make breaks where, there, where no break belongs. 
And the beginning of chapter two is one of those places where I really wish they hadn't broke there between chapter one and chapter two. Because the only way you can understand chapter, especially the beginning of chapter two, is as a continuation of the end of chapter one. Um, because it doesn't make any sense by itself. The beginning of chapter two doesn't. Uh, and so let's go back and I'm going to read the last few chapters or the last few verses of chapter one here. The last few chapters. Sorry. There's only been one chapter in the, anyway. We're going to read the end of Romans and then, no. Um, I'm just going to read the whole book of Romans just right now. No, I'm going to start with um, verse 19. Because remember, the Apostle Paul at the end of the last chapter began to pray a prayer for the people of Ephesus. And also, I, I believe that prayer is for anyone who's a follower of Christ. And he, there were three, well, there were three things in particular that he want, that he was asking the Lord um, to, uh, to give us that... He was asking the Lord to enlighten our hearts so that we would know these three things. Okay, that God would give, that he would give inspiration in our hearts, revelation into our hearts, that we would have the ability to see these three things. And the first one was the hope of his calling. Remember, that's what, what, is, what is God up to in and through you? What is God doing in saving you? And what is his, what's... As we think about the eternal purpose for your salvation, when God saved you, that was an eternal thing that he did. It was something that's, that had a beginning, but it has no end. And so what is what was the future that he saw when, when he saved you? That's the first thing. What are the riches of the, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So that is how, how much worth he puts in his church and how and how precious you are to him. So that's number two. And number three, the third thing that Paul wanted us to be enabled to to uh, know was the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Okay, that means just the absolute wealth of power that God has unleashed on our behalf. I th- you know, I think sometimes we think when we pray or when we begin to talk to God that we are annoying him or we are we're so small in comparison to the other things that he's doing. Does that make sense? Like, like I know that you are really busy, God, but if you could just for a second, please provide for me. You know, and we don't think of ourselves as high on God's priority list. But the Apostle Paul is praying that we would come to understand that God's immeasurable power has been put to work for us and in us and through us. And that we're incredibly high on his priority list, that we that we that God has set his omnipotent power at work on our behalf. It's that issue of favor that we talked about in prayer this morning, that we are highly favored of the Lord. That's 
a reality. That's the truth. And the Apostle Paul wants, he's asking the Lord to give us the ability to believe that. Because it's not easy to believe. And then, starting in verse uh, 20, um, he gives us an example of one way that, uh, of, 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 well, a demonstration of that incomparably great power. He gives us, a, he says, if you want to see how powerful the power is that has been set loose in your life, this is, an, this is a great example of how powerful he, he is. And that's when he says, uh, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, The Apostle Paul is saying, do you want to know how powerful the power of God is that is for you on your side? It's this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus went into hell. Remember, we talked about that last week. He he was in Sheol. He was in hell. Hades is a more appropriate word for it. And God raised him from that place and didn't just bring him back to life, but brought him back to life and then brought him up and seated Jesus at his own right hand and gave him a name that was above every other name, not just in this age, but in the age to come. That's the power that's at work for you, in you, through you. That's the power the Apostle Paul is asking God to give you the ability to understand and to believe in. The resurrection power of God. Okay, so he says, and then he sat Jesus at the right hand of God and is in the process of putting all things in subjection to Christ. We haven't seen the fullness of that yet, but we will. All things being put in subjection to Christ right now. All of that was the power that has been set loose at at work in and for you. And he has given him to us, the church. Now I want to read something to you from, uh, uh, see if I can find it. This, that last phrase that says, and gave him to be head of the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all, it says this. Yes, there is here given as the final glory of the infinitely exalted Christ, angels and archangels are subjected to him, but believing men are joined to him with a union such that he and they, by the same messenger of his, are called elsewhere, one Christ. <coughs> In other words, the most spectacular thing that God did in this whole drama of resurrection was that we became joined with Christ. (coughs) We usually think of that as a negative. And then Jesus got us foisted upon him like, you know, (laughs) Jesus was doing great. And then God said, here, I'm just going to pile the church on you because I don't know what else to do with it. 
You know, we feel so low, but God says, the most glorious thing I did in this entire drama of all the beauty of resurrection and and recreation of the universe is I set him in connection with and as the head of this church. That's insane. We're going to keep continuing into that. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2. He takes that picture of resurrection and he says, understand what I just told you about Jesus is not just Jesus' story. It is your story. Because even as Jesus was dead on the cross, so you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's verse one. And you were dead. And trespasses and sin. Jesus was dead as a doornail. He wasn't breathing. His heart wasn't beating. He was dead. You before Christ were dead in trespasses and sin. You were dead. There's some things we got to understand about the walking dead. <laughs> okay. Oh, <Lord. laughs> I don't watch the show. FYI. But every time I think about this current zombie craze, I think it's incredibly interesting because when you look around this world that we live in, that's what they are. These people that we're trying to save, they are the walking dead in in actual reality. They have physical life. They have mental life. They even have emotional life, but they have no spiritual life. Zero. His power toward us was demonstrated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was taken from the depths of hell and death and brought and seated at the right hand of God. Even as he was dead, so we were dead. And even as he is raised, so shall we be raised out of sin and into life. We were spiritually dead. And we've got to get that. We were dead towards God. Now, there's this picture that I want you to understand because we talk about all the time how we want to see people saved and it's, and, and we kind of feel like there's this, there's this thing that happens at physical death where, um, oh, it's, they went from life to death and now they are, you know, gone. And the second part of that is true. There is, there is a barrier there at physical death where they go and move to a place where they're no longer able to be saved. Once they've been separated from the body, their eternal destiny is sealed. And that's the truth. But if we think that their death began when their body died, we are wrong about that. They have been dead, dead to God since the moment they were conceived. Because sin, original sin, has been sitting on them, and their spirit has been dead since the moment they began to exist. And that death has been the reality of their life. Death to God, death to, death to the glory of God, death to the beauty of God, death to everything that makes God amazing and wonderful, death to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, dead to, dead to the voice of God, 
dead to the power of God. They look around at the mountains and the animals and say, oh, it was all a big mistake. They, they are completely dead. The Apostle Paul talks about people who have not been saved cannot understand spiritual things. Why? Because they're dead to them. Can a corpse understand you? We, they are as different from us as corpses and living people. They are the walking dead. It's, the, it's true. That's the reality of it. Okay, They were spiritually dead. They don't desire him and they don't find him delightful. They do not understand God. And that becomes extremely obvious in the way that they live their life. So the Apostle Paul begins to talk about this death that we were once in, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He says in, in verse two, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay. First of all, he says, you formally walked there. Formerly, you are not dead anymore. When you came to Christ, there was something that, that changed dramatically. When you made that faith transaction where your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future sin forgiven, you were justified, which means it's just as if I never sinned. You became in the spirit as holy as Jesus himself because you were given his righteousness as a gift. You became alive in that moment, and you are not dead anymore. Come on, somebody get excited about that. You guys all look so drowsy and like exhausted right now. What have you been doing? <laughs> Everybody stand up, stand up. Let's get some blood moving in our bodies. Come on. Just raise your, raise, you know, let's reach up to the ceiling and stretch really good. Yeah. Yes, sir. Everybody stand up. Come on. Everybody stand up. You don't get you don't get out of it, Brandon. Yes. Reach up, you know, stretch. Absolutely. Couple power squats. Alright. Come on, stir yourself awake. Alright, now let's sit down. Come on. You just gotta, you know, every once in a while, you just gotta wake yourself up a little bit. Because what I am telling you is that is the best news you will ever hear. You're not dead anymore. Is that exciting or what? You have actual life. You have life that most of the people on the planet cannot understand or experience. Do you understand? You are alive to God, and most of them are dead. Most of them couldn't hear God's voice. If he was screaming in their ear, and you can hear his whisper, you are alive, and they are dead. A miracle has taken place in you. You went from death to life. And just as their death, see, their death is going to continue on through physical death, and it will increase and increase and increase forever. Their death will never stop getting worse. Their death will never stop going deeper. Their death will never stop increasing. It's the exact same thing with your life. The minute you got saved, life burst into you, and it will never stop increasing forever. 
That's what Jesus says, eternal life. That's what he means. It's not just life that lasts forever, but it is life that gets better and better forever. Yeah. Um, so my brother's an atheist, but he once was not and like loved Jesus, you know, all that jazz. Sure. So he is now spiritually dead and like just becoming more dead. That is an interesting question. And it would take a very long time for me to answer it. <laughs> okay. Um, if he is not connected to Christ right now, yes, he is spiritually dead. The question is whether he ever was actually spiritually alive or not. And I don't have an answer to that question. That's just, that's the question. And uh, there's a whole lot of people that would love to tell you that from Scripture they can tell you whether or not he was. It's just not clear, I don't think, in Scripture as to, you know, how that all works. Jer? You said um, their death will never stop increasing. That's correct. Um, I don't, like, I've always thought of death as like a, yeah, in terms of finality, like it's death is like the end yeah. but you're saying it steadily increases but like my my understanding of hell is like it just is forever it doesn't increase or decrease Could you explain that? their separation from god will continue to grow okay. forever and because that's what death is if eternal life is knowing god then eternal death is not knowing him okay, that and that's what i mean by it will continue to increase their separation from god will Yes, increase forever. There's people that will talk to you. By the way, we need to hate hell as Christians. We can't be blasé about it. We can't just be like, oh, I don't like thinking about it. We need to hate it. We also need to understand what it is. Hell is not an angry God punishing someone for the evil that they've done. It's not, it's not how it works. Hell is, a, it, hell is God giving someone what they chose. Allowing them to continue on the path that they began in life. When they chose to stay in death and reject the life offered to them by God, that is what God said. God says yes to that. He hates it. It breaks his heart. But that's the way it is. I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about it. C.S. Lewis says, imagine that you ended up having to live with yourself and you had no ability to change forever. Okay, death is the great kind of freezing moment. Now, when, as we grow in Christ, we become more like Christ. But outside of the influence of Christ, we just become uglier and uglier and uglier as life goes on. Deep, more deeply deceived, more deeply wounded, more deeply sick in our souls. And hell is just a continuation of that forever. 
That's what hell really is. Hell is me having to live with myself for the rest of eternity. Do you understand that? It's just me without the influence of Christ in continuation forever. Now that's a scary thought. And Jesus talks about some of the things that take place in hell, but the reality is they are the product of this reality. We have chosen self over God, and that's all we'll ever receive. I'm going back to Star Wars again. We're only moments away from it, you know, just a few days. I can't, I'm so excited. But there's this moment in the very first, in, in episode four, where Princess Leia looks at, at uh, Han Solo and she says, if money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. Well, that's the reality. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if all we love are things that can decay, rot, and pass away, if that's all that we care about, then that's all we'll receive. Endless decay for the rest of eternity. That's all we will receive. But when we love and treasure those things that are eternal, that is what we receive. The beauty and the glory of the Lord God, our creator, forever and ever and ever. Ever increasing, eternally, our, our ability to see, understand, and enjoy God, increasing more and more forever exponentially. Does that make sense? You see what the choices are? You can choose the worthless things, the things that are going to pass away, the things that are decaying and rotten and broken and, and have no real delight in them. You can have those things if that's what you want, and God will allow you to have them, and that's all you will ever have. And they will do what they always do. They will continue to steal from you forever. And you will become a bottomless hole of emptiness forever. Or you can step into God who continues to give to you forever and have treasure beyond our understanding forever and ever. But he says, you formally walked according to the course of this world. So we're going to lay out this kind of description that he gives of the, the, the life of death. Is this... Uh, this commentator named Guzik, I don't know what his first name is. I think it's Stephen maybe, but he's, he's a more comp, he's a more, uh, I think he's still alive. I'll say it that way. <laughs> okay. And he's written a Bible commentary that I really enjoy most of the time. And, uh, and he said, he calls it, he, he calls this, this verse, he calls it the life of death. In other words, this is, this is how death, it, this is, the, the symptoms of death in being in a life. So first of all, it's, it's, it is the course of this world. We're walking according to the course of this world. And first of all, he says, we're enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. Now, the Apostle Paul does not spend much time talking about Satan. The Bible itself does not spend much time talking about Satan, okay? which means that we shouldn't spend a whole lot of time talking about him either. He's not that important. Let's talk about Jesus and let Satan tremble, okay? Satan's not that big a deal. Um, but he does call him this, the prince of the power of the air. And the word prince just means a person of authority, a ruler or a chief. 
And the power of the air is the name of the army that he rules. Okay? They are the power of the air. And when you think about this, I don't want you to think of the air like the air. Okay? Because that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide that's, fly, that's floating around us all the time. That's not the power of the air that we're talking about. People see big storms and they're like, yeah, the prince of the power of the air. Oh, please. <laughs> that is not, the devil didn't make that storm, so just stop. That's, in fact, it's very, very clear that in Scripture that rain is, comes from God every time, which is a fascinating thing to think about. But anyway, he is not the prince of the power of the weather. Okay, that's not that's not what he is. He's not like, you know, the hurricane is just a demon party. No, guys, that's not, it's the angel, you know, that's not how it works. When he says, when he says the prince of the power of the air, what he's talking about is this, the zeitgeist in which we live. Okay, that, that word zeitgeist means the spirit of this age. It means, it means this, it's the atmosphere that we live in. This world system that you walk around in all the time, that you're constantly, unfortunately, having to breathe in and out all day long because it's the people that live around you and it's the, and it's the culture that surrounds us. And, and it's, that's, that's the air, the power of the air that, that, that Paul is talking about. He's talking about this disgusting system of the rulership of man that is so twisted, ugly, and, 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 and destructive all around us that has continued to exist since Adam and Eve gave the rulership of the earth to Satan. That's what he's talking about. And then he, he makes it even more clear by by saying he's that Satan is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. He is how they live their lives. As we are becoming more and more like Christ, everyone outside of Christ is becoming more and more like Satan. It's real. We got to get hold of this. And here's the truth. Just a minute. Here, here, oh, okay. Here's the truth. Satan is deeply deceived. Do you know that? Have you ever thought about that? The father of lies lies, for, lies more to himself than he does to anybody else. I think that Satan honestly believes he can win. Just imagine him like a big little kid being like, I can't win, I can't win. It's like, you know, I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Tell, it's tell, the, kid, tell the kid that they're, they're, they're so, you know, like, you know, I want this, I can have this. Yeah. And you're just like, no. You can't. you can't. Sorry. And then like, they get so mad. I just imagine that's how he gets when you talk about stuff. Like he is, he's the father of lies. He's also the king of denial. It's just who he is. He is fighting forever against God himself, and he's going to lose. <laughs> because he doesn't know, he doesn't believe he's going to lose. That's what I'm trying to say. He is more deceived than anybody else. 
And the deception that has that has filled him is permeates the world. He honestly believes what he tells us. Sure he has. Sure he has. You know, but he just think he doesn't. And the Bible even says that, you know, during that, during the end times, he's going to be all freaking out because he knows his time is short, right? I mean, the Bible even says that. But when they, when it says that, it means that he understands that the battle will be won or lost right here. No, it's lost, period. End of sentence. You lose. But he doesn't. I, I don't think he does. He is so full of pride. How much self-delusion does it take to stand in the presence of God and believe that you're greater than God? Think about it. He is deeply, endlessly, irretrievably deceived. And he's leading us all down that same path. That's who he is. And it's that deception that he has bought into himself. I think, I really believe that. He's not that big a deal. That's what I'm trying to say. And the Bible says that when we see him on Judgment Day, we're all going to be like, what? That's him? That's the guy. But he's so tiny. You know, he's just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just not scary to anybody. It's like that's what did she say? Well, <laughs> <laughs> she's smart. The old lady turned on like the like Yes. Exactly. Well, it's the same thing. He will be shown as ridiculous as he actually is. That's 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 the truth. He's gonna be. He will be revealed as as absolutely ridiculous he, as he really is. We're all gonna see him next to Jesus and be like, "Why was I scared of him? Like, what what on earth was I thinking? Why did I think that he was so powerful?" When it says he's the prince of the power of the air, that's what it means. Is he is the one who is in charge of this insidious reality that exists everywhere around us that we call human culture. That's who he is. And he is the spirit that's at work in the sons of obedience and his ways and his thought patterns live in them. They're all just parroting his philosophy. And this will only get worse as the days get darker. The spirit of Antichrist has been at work in the human race since, well, really, since, you know, the fall of man. But the first place we really see it in action, okay, when I say the spirit of Antichrist, this is what I mean. Man believing, honestly believing, that he has no need of God. Okay? That's the spirit of Antichrist. No. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in all of humankind right now. It will become so powerful and it will be so real in the end times and the human agreement will be so lined up with the spirit of Antichrist that the spirit of Antichrist will be manifested as a human being. Okay? And he, there will be a man who is the Antichrist and he will be the living embodiment of this idea that 
man has no need for God. Okay, The first time we ever saw that was in the, the first human king, Nimrod. I know everybody laughs at that name, but that's his name. It is. He was an ancient king in kind of the Babylonian, you know, uh, thing. And he became the ruler of all of humanity at that time. And he is the one who caused the Tower of Babel to be built. And the reason he was given such authority is because all of the human race was in agreement with him. And God came in and screwed that all up. He, gave, he, he confused all their languages so they couldn't agree with one another. And they ended up scattering the way that God wanted them to scatter. Okay? God squashed the spirit of Antichrist right after the flood. Boom. But what's happening now? Think about it. The human race is beginning to learn how to speak the same language now. Do you know how easy it is to... Look at Facebook. You see someone post something in Spanish, and you can just click a button and see what, and see with the translation. Do you see how? Do you see how, how easy it is? Wait, what? You didn't know that? Yeah, you could just. Ever since I went down to Mexico City earlier this year, I have lots of friends on on Facebook from Mexico City, and so I and I have to use that because I have I don't speak any Spanish at all, and so I click see translation and it you know it gives me a rough idea of what they said. Now usually it, sometimes it's really off, but some but yeah. Okay, are you talking about like any ideas of like communism? Because there's a book I was reading. It was called um, Torture for Christ, where he talked about how communism is a direct link of the devil and how communism is one manifestation of the spirit of antichrist that was quite powerful for a while you see what we got to understand about satan is that he doesn't know the future well yeah he 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 knows what the bible says and so he knows that there is going to be this revolution of ideas that takes over the world but he doesn't know which idea it is and communism is a great is a great version of the spirit of antichrist but what we have now is not necessarily communism now we have hu human socialism which is which is much prettier and not nearly as mean as communism but it's the same thing you don't need god it's that same idea now they would they don't necessarily say it that way they say it like this aren't isn't isn't god in all of us do you see how those are the same thing when humanity becomes God, it's the same idea. It's just repackaged. And it's been in existence since all the way back. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. They were building a tower to reach up to heaven so that man could be seated next to God. That's what they were doing. But they were stupid. They thought that they could actually build a tower that reached heaven. And obviously, that's dumb. But it's no more stupid now. It's the same stupidity now that's at, at work in the hearts of men. And that's when he says it's the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what he's talking about. It's this dethroning of God that we have been trying to do since we reached out and said no to God's plan for humanity and yes to our plan for humanity. That's what Eve was doing. Do you know what God's plan for humanity was? God's plan, God's, God's original plan spoken to Adam and Eve was, you are like me. That was God's plan for humanity. 
that man would be like God, isn't it? Think about it. I will make him in my image. What is that? And here comes Satan, and he's, he says to Eve, you know, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. Have you ever thought about this, that the desire in Eve's heart to be like God was not sinful? Isn't that what God had said to her from the beginning? That you're like me? Isn't it? What was sinful was that Eve decided to do it herself and not to have God do it in her. And from that day forward, religion, which is exactly what was happening, or in other words, man attempting to be like God on, with, under his own power, has been the ruler of humanity. Do you see? He's the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. I love this phrase, the sons of disobedience. You were born of sin, created in its image, and you could not escape it in your own power, no matter how hard we try. Period. That's what it means to be the son of disobedience. You were born a sinner. You were enslaved to its power. You had no ability to escape the power of sin on your own. Zero, no matter how hard you try. You cannot make yourself holy. It is not possible because you're a son of disobedience. You and I, we were children of disobedience from the moment we were first conceived. Verse three. <clears throat> so they're enslaved to the prince of the power of this world. They're sons of disobedience. And they're living in the lust of their flesh, indulging the desires of their flesh. Okay, that's verse 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were na by nature children of wrath. Okay? Living in the lust of our flesh, the desires of the flesh. And let me ask you a question. Is your flesh evil all by itself? Is flesh evil? Think about it. Is human flesh evil? It's not. It's not evil. It's not evil. Your flesh isn't evil. When man and wife become one flesh, is that evil? No, that's God's plan. Flesh is not evil. Let me tell you what's going on there. Because the Bible is always talking about the desires of the flesh or running after the flesh or living of the flesh. What is evil is when flesh gets put in control. Okay? Flesh isn't evil by itself, but it's not meant to run the show. It was never meant, you were never meant to be ruled by the desires of your flesh. Never. That's not, you weren't meant to be ruled by them. You were meant to have them and to see, see that they were, that the needs of your flesh were met in God's prescribed way, such as sex inside of marriage or eating the right kind of food and, you know, et cetera. Okay. That's God. 
gave you those desires. There's nothing evil about them in and of themselves. But when they run your life, they lead to destruction. What would you do if you just ate nonstop all day long every day? Would you be a healthy person? No. What would you be if all you did was just like pursue sexual desire all day every day? Would you be a healthy person? No, think about the think about the desires of your flesh. If they become the ultimate, if they become the reason I'm alive, what kind of a life is that? It'd be you you're sick, you're, you know, and think about, okay, think about this. You know, when you get up in the morning and your flesh does not feel great because you didn't quite get enough sleep or whatever, okay. And the desire of your flesh is to smack any living thing that comes anywhere near you before you've had your coffee. Okay, right? Am I wrong about that? You know, that's the desire of my flesh. I, I knew, I knew. Okay, there was one particular. She was, she is a uh, uh, the wife of a, a pastor of a guy that used to be on staff here at this church. Okay, and she was so like it was understood in her house that you did not speak to her until she had coffee. Okay, And she was just protecting everyone because she didn't want them to have their eyes plucked out of their heads. You know, I mean, that's what she was doing. She was just trying to say, look, you really don't want to talk to me before I have coffee because bad things will happen. Right. That's what the flesh does. That is what the flesh does. Okay. The idea is that these these desires. When the flesh is in control, bad things happen. Okay? Your flesh does not have a brain. Do you understand that? It's just like, you know, if, if you keep putting food in a dog's bowl, he'll keep eating until his stomach bursts. Right? Like, he can, it'll, it, it's really bad for a dog to keep feeding them because they'll keep eating. Because they're stupid. <laughs> They don't understand what it will do to them physically. And we don't understand, obviously, what it will do to us physically. <laughs> if we keep eating, we, we don't get it. You know, we just get, Your flesh doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have a sense. It doesn't understand right from wrong. And so when your flesh is in control of your life, you are going to live a life that's destructive, worthless, and powerless. It's going to lead to sickness, sin, brokenness, and death. That's, what our, that's where our, our flesh will take us if our flesh is in control. The Apostle Paul is saying, in the world, mostly they're just living out of what their flesh tells them to do. Because that's they don't know anything else. How many, haven't you ever heard about, you know, that this is what the world does, isn't it? They just, you know, all the, the men all over this planet are just following their crotches around. Oh. It's the <laughs> truth. And there's a lot of women that are doing the same thing, but it's a lot more men. I could have been more graphic than that, but it's real. <laughs> I was being very serious. They're being led around by their hormones, and that's that's real. Isn't it true? Come on, look at the guys lining up to get into strip bars. 
Look at the guys paying thousands of dollars to download pictures of naked women, okay? This is it. Gross. They are. It is gross. Absolutely, it's gross. It's disgusting. But you know why they do it? Because they don't know any other way to live. This is. They are pursuing pleasure because, because they don't understand that 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 the desires of the flesh are temporary, temporal, and don't lead us to anything good. They just don't. They don't. That's not what they're meant to do. They're just there to continue the functions of life. That's all they're there for. That's why they exist. That's what sinful people do. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, it says that the... It says, the, the actions of the flesh are obvious, it says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Peter 2.11, sinful desires wage war against your soul. When we let our flesh lead us around, we are destroying our own souls. We are killing our own souls. We are becoming less and less human the more we follow after our fleshly desires. We're becoming more animal and less human. I love the Narnia books. And there is this thing in the in those books where Aslan in in the magician's nephew when he when he he creates the animals and then he chooses certain ones and he gives them in, in uh, intelligence, gives them the ability to speak, and he says to them in that moment, "Be careful because if you start living like one, like a creature that cannot speak, you will lose your ability to speak." Yes. I never read the books. <laughs> he says, if you, if you go back to living like just an animal and not an intelligent animal, you will lose your intelligence. And, and that was C.S. Lewis saying, human beings, pay attention. We have something special here. Why would we go back? Why would we turn and decide to live like an animal just following our appetites around? That's not who we are. Yeah, I want to talk to them. <clears throat> and there is, there does come a time when we have spent so much time chasing our appetites around that we don't even, we can't even get in touch with our humanity anymore. You got to understand that. Then he says, by nature, they are children of wrath. Prior to Christ, our very nature led us deeper into destruction. Prior to Christ, our very nature leads us further from God. Okay, verse 3. I already did that. Verse 4. These, for, these two words are beautiful, amazing words. But God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We were so lost. There was no saving us. There was no way for us to save ourselves. We had no hope 
whatsoever but God. <laughs> Thank you, God. He didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us there. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This is so beautiful. God is wealthy when it comes to mercy. He has so much mercy. He is rich in mercy. But understand this, his mercy comes from his love. It's one thing to be merciful because uh, you feel bad for somebody. Or to be merciful because, you know, it's good for you somehow. But God's mercy comes from his love. He's rich in mercy because he's rich in love. It's the love of God, which is the flowing fountain of the mercy of God. And we can't see the mercy of God apart from the love of God. We've got to understand that. He's not merciful because it doesn't mean all that much to him. You know, you know sometimes people think about God forgiving sins like he's just writing off the debt. Like, you know what? Never, it's not a big deal. No big deal. It's all right. I'm just going to let you off because it doesn't matter. It's fine. That is not how God feels about sin. God hates sin with every ounce of his being. There is nothing inside of God that, is, that just winks at sin. There is nothing inside of God that thinks sin is okay or allows sin to just pass on by. God does not do that. That's not how he feels about sin. And so the fact that God would have anything to do at all with a being that is defined by sin, that's me and you, is unbelievably astounding. We've got to get that through our heads. If we understand how much God hates sin, he hates sin. It cannot be a part of him. It can't be anywhere around him. He will utterly destroy anything. His presence utterly destroys anything that is full of sin. That's just who he is. But he loves you. And because he loves you, he's having mercy on you. Even when you were dead in your transgressions. Even then, he saw you, he loved you, and he had mercy on you then. You know that Jesus died on the cross before you sinned? Having full knowledge of what you would do and who you would be and how bad you would screw up, he, he still died planning on saving you? Do you understand that? I think sometimes we think about Jesus saying, you know what, I'm going to give you a pass this time because you didn't know any better, but you better not screw up again. That is not Jesus. Jesus comes along saying, you screwed up, you're going to screw up again, and you're going to continue to screw up, and I know that, but I love you, and I'm saving you out of it. Let's go. And yes, I know you're going to fall again, and yes, I know you're going to screw up again, but I love you, so I'm going to have mercy on you, and I'm going to, I'm going to, Take all of the hatred that I have towards sin and I'm going to put it on my son. The closer you get to the cross, the more astounding it is. He loved us before we did anything to love him. And even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Okay, so don't lose the thread. Jesus was dead. God raised him up and seated him at the right hand of God, right? That's the power that God has unleashed toward us. We were dead. And he has raised us up 
and he has made us alive together with Christ. Even as he raised Christ to life, so he is raising us to life. This story that the Apostle Paul told about Jesus being raised from out, brought from out of hell and seated at the right hand of God in heaven, that is your story as much as it is Jesus's. That is our story. That is, that is the, the story of your life. You guys are too young to remember that this is your life show. And they would bring people on and they would bring like, you know, people from this person's life. Do you remember this person's voice? And it would be like the gym teacher going, do 20 laps. And you're like, oh, it's my gym teacher. And they'd bring him out. It was a very old show. I think it was canceled before I was a kid, but I still saw some of them. It was back during the days of the dinosaurs. <laughs> yep. That's how old I am. Christ was dead. We were dead. God made Jesus alive. He made us alive together with him. By, and then he says this. He says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were made alive together with Christ Jesus. In parentheses, by grace you have been saved. Okay. By the way, by grace you have been saved. Just, just remember that. And raised us up with him. That was kind of a preview of coming attractions because in a couple verses he's going he's gonna to explain that in much more detail. But he, right now he's saying, you didn't earn this. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. You didn't, you know, there, it wasn't like he thought your smile was cute so he saved you. No. He, he completely, you had no worth of your own and he just chose to pick you up. That's what happened. He loved you because he loved you, not because you're awesome. That is not why he loved you. You're not awesome. You're not. You're a broken, disgusting bag of sin and death. That's what you are prior to Christ. Now you're awesome, but only because God made you awesome. Yeah, now you're awesome. It's okay. You, you could can, you can be good in your awesomeness, but you are not awesome because of you. You're awesome because of him. You're awesome because of grace. That's why you're awesome. And you are awesome, no question. But before Jesus, you weren't. And without him, you're not. <laughs> By grace you have been saved. He did it. You didn't do it. You didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's free. That's what grace means. Please understand that. Right, Gracie? That's what grace means. That's what grace means. It means for free. You didn't earn it. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. It's given to you in spite of who you are, not because. Please understand, every time you see that word, every time you see the word grace, it means for free. For free. Get it. Now, my dad talks a lot about how grace means forgiveness of sin and empowerment to do the right thing. And he's right. But the truth is that in actuality, the way that works is both forgiveness of sin and the power of God for you not to, 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 con to continue in holy living those both came to you for free. That's why they're included in grace, okay? Not because grace means those two things. In fact, grace doesn't mean either one of those things. Grace means for free. That's what grace means. Then you have to figure out what was coming to you by grace because it isn't just grace that came to you. Grace was bringing you something. Are you bringing me something? Grace was bringing you something, okay? That's what grace does. Grace is a delivery vehicle. It's, it's not a thing in, in itself. Understand that. 
Grace was bringing you something. So when you see in scripture the word by grace or grace, look around for what was coming to you by grace. It's like UPS. It's, I, don't just, I don't give you UPS for Christmas. UPS might bring you the presents, but I don't give you UPS. Does that make sense? By UPS you have received. <laughs> That's right. It was by UPS you have been saved, not by not by <laughs> through faith. <laughs> not by FedEx. Okay. So remember, Jesus was in hell. And the power of God brought him from hell and seated him at the right hand of God in heaven. Now we look at verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our story. Don't get away from it. This is our story. Our story is we were dead and the power of God came and pulled us out and sat us at the right hand of God. That is what has happened. That is who you are. You are a person who has been brought out of death and put at the right hand of God through nothing you did of your own. You didn't do anything to get you there. God did it all. God, that is so good news. That is unbelievable. That means it's not, it doesn't, it, it does not depend on you. Which also means you can't screw this up. Oh, that's great news. Oh, that's such good news. No, you can say no to it. You can say no. You can opt out. I believe that with all my heart. That you can say, when God comes in and says, I want to save you, I think you can say no. That's one part of the teachings of Calvinism that I do not agree with at all. And it's called irresistible grace. I do not believe it. I just don't see it in Scripture. Now, I might see it in Scripture you know, tomorrow, but right now I don't see it in Scripture I don't. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it talks about God choosing you even though you don't want to be chosen. <laughs> I just don't see that. I think God comes to us and he says, do you want me? And if we say yes, then we get all of this. But even that yes was given to us by God. Even the ability to say yes to him was given to us as a gift. That's a great gift. The ability to say yes to God yes. is given to us by God. That's a gift. And that doesn't mean the choice was given to us by God. I do believe that we choose. I believe the Bible both says that God chooses and we choose. I, I believe it says both. I really do. And how those things fit together, I have no idea. But I just think it's all over Scripture that God chooses us and we choose him. I don't I I think that those two weirdly opposite things exist perfectly beautifully alongside each other in the heart of God and he sees no contradiction to them at all and we're like but when but who's really choosing and he says yes <laughs> and we're like die you're incomprehensible and he says i know that's right you can't understand me welcome to humanity <laughs> And we're going to be chasing down the mystery of God forever, and it will be the most joyful, wonderful expedition anyone's ever gone on. And I think at the end of a billion years, we will be a million times happier than we are now, and we still won't be anywhere closer to understanding him. 
So we're going to say, let's take another billion years to keep chasing him. And he's going to be like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Yeah. I was thinking earlier in prayer, like we have been given all of eternity to pursue and seek out the infinite God. Yes. Like, and for all of eternity, our capacity to pursue him grows. And our joy in the chase grows. This is so good. And we actually are going to learn things about him. It's not that we're not. We're going to be we're going to be gaining understanding about him. What? We're we're going to be getting an understanding about him as we go, but we're just never going to understand him fully. He gets into it. He gets into it as like, I'm sorry. I'm a I'm an expressible I'm expression ex, expressive person. Not not verbally apparently, but uh, okay. Raise us up and seated with him. Understand this. This is something we got to get. We have been brought into a mystical union with Christ. It's, it's a union that we don't understand, but it is very real. It is impossible for us to get our you know little puny human brains around it, but it's it's real. Okay, we've been joined with him through faith. We've been joined to Christ. We are his bride. Do we understand how man and woman become one? No. We really don't. We don't really know how that works. What is that? Well, that is just a picture of Jesus in the church. That's what it is. Our life has been as joined to... The truth is our joining to Christ is more real than the joining of man and wife. Joining of man and wife is just a picture of, of kind of what our being joined to Christ looks like. That's why marriage exists. Just FYI. It's a glimpse. Yeah. The Apostle Paul talks about it. In First Corinthians. Okay. Right? So, through faith we've been joined to Christ. His righteous life becomes our righteous life. His death becomes our death. His record of righteousness becomes our record of righteousness. His spirit becomes our spirit. His inheritance of all things, because he is the son of the living God, becomes our inheritance. Ha <laughs> ha! We get all things. Is that Excel? Come on now. Okay, his suffering becomes our suffering. His mission becomes our mission. His authority becomes our authority. We have been joined with Christ. There is a union that has happened between us and Christ, which means we have been brought into the relationship of God with God. We've got to get this. This isn't, this isn't just God's relationship with man. We have been brought into, invited into the relationship God has with God. That is an astounding reality, but it's very real. Go read John 15 through 17. And you'll see it because it's there. Now he's still the head. We don't become God, but we have been brought into the fellowship of the Godhead. And that's, that's real because we're joined with Christ. He's still the head and we can only exercise these realities as we are and in, and in relationship, you know, with our abiding in him. You know, Jesus said, abide in me and these things will take place. Well, yeah, as we we can encourage and open wider and, and, and press into our connection with Christ. That's what discipleship is. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be pressing into our connection with Jesus, saying, I want that to be full and open and complete. And as the death that, that 
that still hangs on to our soul. Okay, the 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 worldly ideas, the worldly understandings of of everything, and uh, the the fleshly ideas that are still bouncing around, and the actual human flesh that we still carry with us that has not yet been resurrected but will be. Those are the things that keep us from experiencing our union with Christ complete, fully. Okay? Our spirit is in complete union with Christ, 100%. But your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions is not, is not there yet. That's why you need the Bible, and that's why you need people around you to say, hey, see this part of your soul right here? Jesus isn't really working there very well. It does hurt. Not just from me poking you. <laughs> does when people say hey this part of you doesn't look very much like jesus it's like hey have you ever taken a personality test that made you feel completely naked afterwards and you read the thing and you're like oh shut up i'm not like that you're not supposed to know that about me right okay (laughs) that's how the christian community that's what christian community is about that's what it's for it's for us to be right next to each other in such a place of community. And you guys experience this in a much more powerful way than most people, you know, outside of this context. You're actually living with one another, spending almost all your time together. You guys can see very clearly what parts of people are being influenced by Jesus pretty well and what parts of you people aren't being influenced by Jesus very well. And in love, you're supposed to be helping one another open that part of themselves to the influence of Christ. That's, by the way, you don't do that by going, I hate it when you're like this. That's not how that works. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. So now we're going to switch gears here in verse seven a little bit. Check this out. Apostle Paul is talking all about our connection to Jesus and what that looks like. The fact that we've been raised from death into real life, eternal life, that's eternally eternally long and eternally in depth in depth. Okay. Oh, the baby whisperer is going in. What? He is good with children. I don't know what that is, but yes. <laughs> I'm a little afraid of him now, but he is good. I don't know. I don't know what it is. He's good <laughs> I'm so scared. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I don't ever edit anything. <laughs> I actually have, but the only times I've edited were when someone is sharing something intensely personal that doesn't belong on the podcast. That I've edited, but everything else I don't edit. Mm-hmm. Hey, the baby's not crying. That's, see? The baby whisperer knows what he's doing. It's Brandon Wilder, the baby whisperer. That's so, weird. <laughs> so, now, verse 7. Here is why. You want to know why Jesus did this? Let me tell you why. Okay. So that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) 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 
Okay, listen up. You guys can't miss this, okay, because this is massive, and this is something most of the church does not understand, and we've got to get a hold of it, okay? Verse 7. In ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. That's why, that's, that's, that's what's going on with you. You are a living demonstration of the grace of God. That is what you are. You are a living demonstration of the kindness and the mercy and the beauty of God. That's, that's, that's what this is about. You will be a trophy of the glory and the kindness of God for all of eternity. Angels, principalities, beings beyond beings that we don't even understand exist that are far beyond any human existence. The very seraphim who stand around the throne of God shouting holy, holy, holy day and night. They look at what God is doing in you and they see something that they have never seen before. And it's called mercy and kindness. He's demonstrating his own kindness in his goodness towards you in Christ Jesus. That's what he's doing. He is unveiling something about himself that they have never seen before. That's what that's who we are. Eternal demonstrations of the kindness and the grace of God in us, to us, out of us, and through us. The universe sees the kindness and the grace of God because he has poured it out on you. What? It, that's a definitely a, a nosebleed worthy thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are totally. And I don't think how many trophy wives do you know of that are really upset about the fact that they're trophy wives? <laughs> a eight year old man were uh, marrying a twenty five year old because she's really, really beautiful. Yeah. But I guarantee he probably completely loves her though. <laughs> and hopefully she loves him back that's the part we don't understand but guess what we don't do we don't, we don't do a great job of loving Jesus back either so think about it we don't do a great job of loving Jesus back either I don't think it's that bad I would never say it from the pulpit what we are is Jesus trophy wife. That's what we are, everyone. <laughs> last Sunday, last Sunday, I talked about we've been brought into the family of God, and I said God's the, our Father and Jesus our brother. And I said the Holy Spirit is our weird uncle, and the whole the whole room went <laughs> like the whole room was like blasphemy. <laughs> I was just like I, I told I backpedaled immediately because I felt the oxygen just leave the room like and I was like I'm kidding people it's all right wow okay note to self this was Sunday morning I think so that that was that happened too where I was like 
Cause I just don't don't you're not allowed to pick on Christmas. I was talking to my adult just, family. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Like, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> I, I I started at both in both services. I started to get irreverent about Christmas, and and in both services, I got the same reaction of the the whole church was kind of like going, "We don't like you." this total this total judgmental thing i didn't have any fellow grinches going like amen i didn't have any of that i just had i just i was laughing she said something about like, why can't we just like pull around on Christmas? I don't know. She said something. Anyway. Well, and then I mentioned it this morning in service review, and the staff was ganging up on me too. No, you can't talk about Christmas that way. I was like, yikes. My dad wasn't here, and he was like, what do you mean? What is your problem with Christmas? I said, do you really want me to go there? <laughs> Like 90% of our Christmas tradition is pagan tradition, has nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. Uh, that it's this, that it's, that we're just pouring gasoline on the fire of consumerism and materialism that exists at the heart of the church. Should I go on? And he was like, never, no, just to stop. You really started saying that? I did, yes. Because <laughs> it's how I feel about this season. I think we completely lose sight of Jesus in the midst of Christmas, and it drives me nuts. That's not should. One of the very first sermons I ever preached was around Christmas time, and it was, the title of the sermon was, Christmas is a Big Ball of Crap. <laughs> yes. Where'd you preach that? I at the in the youth group here okay, at church. Yeah. <laughs> no, that wasn't a Sunday morning service. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have preached again. It was a very long time ago. Okay, so verse eight. You guys all know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God. Okay, you know that verse, right? Everybody knows that verse. It's on our revive bands, right? It's it, that verse is so important. For, uh, three uh, Ephesians three or two eight, right? It's a, it's 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 a massive verse. It's one of the most important cornerstone verses of Christianity. But how many of you have asked yourself the question, why does that verse start with the word for? Uh oh. You don't even know why Paul is saying what he's saying. You might know what he said, but you don't know why he said it. Come on. Context is everything. Go read the context of Jer Jeremiah 29 11. Amen. Please. Go read it. Every Christian in America knows that verse. None of them know where, what else is being said around that verse. Because if they did, they would be like, oh, geez, I don't know if I want to put that on the graduation card after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Read, read what he's talking about. He is talking about the judgment of this world, and he's saying that guess what? It's going to be okay though, because I know the plans I have for you. You know, the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, but I know the plans I have for you. It's okay. It's you know this. Anyway, I just I think that kind of stuff is funny, where Christianity gets ahead of itself. This verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God. Is he says that because of what he said in the last verse. In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, look, God is showing off his kindness. This is what he's doing in the church. That's who you are as a trophy of his kindness. And he says, because by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Everybody, uh, He's unpacking what he just said. We are joined to Christ, brought from death to life, raised and seated in heavenly places as a demonstration of the grace of God because by grace, which is for free, unearned, not because of our goodness or anything inside of us, we have been saved through faith. And not faith you gave yourself or bought for yourself, but faith that was given to you. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand, you didn't save you, God saved you. And that is a demonstration of his incredible kindness. It has nothing to say about who you, about how awesome a person you are. You didn't earn this. God gave it to you. And he did it so that all the universe would know that he's kind. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Of course he loves you. But he's demonstrating what his love actually looks like by saving someone that does not deserve to be saved. And that's you and me. He says, it's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. God didn't do this for you because you earned it. If God was just paying you what you earned, it would not be kindness and it would not be grace. If God was giving you something you deserved, is that kindness? Giving you what you deserve, is that kind? Is that kindness? No, that's just justice. Right? If he's given you what you deserve, that's just justice. That's right. That's how it should be. That's not kindness. Kindness is giving you something you don't deserve. Something you didn't earn. And that's what God's demonstrating. Okay? This isn't a result of works. God did all of this for you apart from anything you ever did because he wanted to be the only one who could boast about you. He wanted to be the only one who got credit for what you are becoming. When we are when we stand next to Jesus, the bride of Christ in all of his glory and all of the angels and every heavenly creature looks at us and sees the glory of God in a way they have never seen it before. When that happens, do you God wants to be able to say, I did that. They didn't do it to themselves. That beautiful bride, I did that. That's my glory she's reflecting, not her own. That was a gift I gave her. So that he's the one that's glorified by your salvation, not you. That's why he did it the way he did it so that he could be glorified by what you are becoming. The nice thing is, he gets the glory, but we get the joy. We're still the bride of Christ. I mean, can we really complain? No, it's, we get to live forever, enjoying the most enjoyable thing in all of the universe forever. That's what we get to do. That's not, I, uh, I, I don't see any, there's no way that we could be upset about this. All we can do is stand with our mouths open going, God is so awesome! <laughs> that is so great. Verse 10, for we're his workmanship. His workmanship, not our own. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God befo prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. God is the one working. Look at Philippians 2.13, it says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you understand what that means? 
means even the desire you have in your heart to be obedient to Jesus, God gave you that. That didn't come from you. That is a gift. On your own, you have no desire to be obedient to God. On your own, you have no desire to even, on your own, you have no desire to even desire him. You are only hungry for God because he enabled you to be hungry for God. You only desire God because he's given you the gift of desire for him. That's kind of huge, isn't it? And when we're standing in a worship service and we just want more of God and we're saying, come down, God, right? We sing these songs like, you know, come Lord Jesus, come or, or, or rend the heavens, you know. I always laugh at those because it, it kind of sounds like the church is going, oh, why don't you, I, I miss you, come down here. And, and the truth is the only reason that we even have that feeling is because God gave it to us. Right? I mean, it's, it's like we're this kind of, it, I, almost sound, I almost feel like the church kind of feels like a neglected child. Stop that. The only reason that you want him, the only reason you even call him father is because you were given the ability to do so by him. Even our, our, our will to do God's work comes from God. And the very work we do comes from God. Everything you've ever done for God is a gift God gave you. Okay, all of it. Every scrap is a gift. Every moment of our lives is grace. Every moment is an undeserved gift given to us by an incomprehensibly generous God for his glory and for our joy. Got to get a hold of this. The minute that you understand that every breath that you breathe is, a, is the most generous gift anyone's ever been given, your life will look completely different. All of a sudden, you'll be going, yeah, at the cheese toasties, okay? The cheese, the cheese doodles. Cheese toasties, no. I mean, I, I do that at cheese toasties also, but, you know, the, that's, a, that's a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, okay. <laughs> especially, especially if it's... That's, Especially, especially if it's pepper jack cheese in the in the oh. cheese, you know. Oh, it's it's so glorious. With with tomato soup, you oh, it's perfect. No, it's just got a little bit of you know a little bit of a kick. It's not it's not spicy. It's great. You gotta do. There's two cheeses. If you haven't tried, uh, well, provolone's good, but um, Munster. If you haven't tried grilled cheese with Munster cheese, it will it will kick you in the teeth. It's so good. It's, that, it's just that. And if you haven't tried it with pepper jack cheese, that's the same thing. You just you just be like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, you, American cheese. Well, you'll just ne- you'll you'll never eat American cheese again after you've had it with. Cool. Well, anyway, <laughs> all right, we're going to stop there. Hey, we got to verse 10. Woo! Woo! Yeah, 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 go ahead. Shh. Yeah. Oh, my baby. Who's kid? You're a baby. So you know how, like, you know, like, you know, 
You know, real men can change diapers. Hey, we have I a question. Have a <laughs> it's okay. Brandon called for backup, too. Brandon goes, we need help with this sweatshirt. I'm like, okay. Dude, I thought you were the baby whisperer. I put it on the podcast that you were the baby whisperer. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, great. He's gotten way too used to my child, who's very easygoing. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Okay, but... The fact was, you walked in there and she stopped crying. Go ahead. Okay, so you know how we all speak different languages all over the world? Sure. What language are we going to speak? I don't think that we'll use human... I don't... I think we'll... Either we'll, like, know all the languages and we'll be able to understand each other perfectly, or we don't actually use verbal language. See, you know, you take her away from the baby whisperer and this is what happens. The Apostle Paul talks about when when he he went to the third heaven. Okay, so he, he visited heaven at some point in a vision. And he talks about seeing and experiencing things that human language could not express. Okay? And so that makes me think that in heaven we really won't be using language. That it'll be Well, no, I think it'll be <laughs> Like telepathy, kind of like you know, we'll just express, you know, without without the machinery of language, we'll just be able, we'll we'll be expressed, we'll just be expressing. <laughs> yep, that's 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 my understanding that we'll be able to express ourselves to one another and to the Lord without that kind of, you know, having to search for words or, or. Oh, kind of like you know, sure. Oh, you mean like when best friends, like, you know, give each other a love? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just automatically know. No, 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 no. I had to make water. Yeah, that's fine. Just Telepathy. I mean, it says. That's my guess. And I think scripture bears me out on that, but I don't know for sure. Go ahead. You know, because it says that the seven are saying, there is obviously language in heaven, but what I'm saying—I'm not saying we can't speak. I'm saying we won't necessarily need to. I think we will. I think it'll be like te- telepathically enhanced speech. Right. Exactly. And the Bible also says that we will know even as we are known. So it'll be like there won't be anything about you that's secret because there's no shame in heaven whatsoever. So it would be like, you know, we're, we'll be. We'll just perfectly know each other without any boundaries or walls or secrets or oh, that'll be so which good. is pretty awesome. So yeah. I'll just speak in like three languages. Or none. Or or zero. Just you know, just just No, there's other things that they say in the book of Revelation too. But, but maybe you gotta understand that maybe maybe that was just maybe that was just the way the Holy Spirit showed John what they were actually doing around the throne. Maybe they weren't actually saying those words. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I, I, it may not be that those words, that may just be how John received it, that, but it wasn't actual language, you know? But that's, but that's what they were perfectly uh, expressing forever, though. Yes. And that, 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 that makes sense. See, because I, I think the best way to say holy is actually something like along the lines of like, ah! you know, like I think that's, that's, I mean, have you ever well, been in that moment where the Holy Spirit's just like, you know, 
and, you, and, you, and, and you're like, ah, ah, you know, just like overwhelmed by the reality of God for a second so that ver- verbiage no longer works. And there's just, that, just like, <laughs> I mean, that would work out pretty well because the four descriptions are a lion. So you'd have like the roar and then you'd have like and the eagle. Yeah. And then you'd have the man doing that. It's just, just going to be your head and your vocal cords <laughs> on a seraphim. The bowl's just like, <laughs> it's gonna be beautiful. It's like the ants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's after three o'clock, people. So I'm just.